0: Uh, The subject that uh, I have to talk to you about today is identity. I have four points. I'm going to talk about what identity is. What is the identity of the church? Number one. Number two, what is the significance of that identity? Three, what is the chief mark of that identity? And four, the conclusion of that identity. So speaking of what is the identity of the church, I believe that the identity of the church is as the moon. It shines by borrowed light. I believe the identity of the church is really recognizing that we know what we are by the light of who he is. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I believe in the sun and the sky, not just because I can see it, but because by it I see. And so it is with our identity. We believe in Christ, not just because we've seen him in the gospel, but by seeing him in the gospel, we see everything else, including our rightful place, what we are. Identity is as the moon, it shines by borrowed light. Praise God. Mark chapter 2, verse 19, it's not going to be the main text that I jump into, but I think it's important to recognize this. If our identity is revealed to us by sight of Christ, by the recognition of Jesus, seeing Jesus, perceiving the beauties of Jesus, we see correctly. If that's right, then this is how we realize our identity, by realizing his In Mark chapter 2, verse 19, from his own mouth, you realize it's written in red, from his own mouth, by his own profession, his own confession, he calls himself something that is very significant for us understanding what we are. He calls himself the bridegroom. So to see him as what he wants you to see him as, which is I'm your bridegroom. (laughs) By seeing that, we realize then that makes us a bride. What is the identity of the church? Very simple. It is we are the bride of Christ because Christ himself has revealed himself as bridegroom. You know, there are lots of different things in the scriptures, analogies, if you will, or, or even what you'd call labels that, Uh, signify different attributes of our relationship with him. For instance, you have a soldier, you have farmer, you have an athlete, you have um, sons, Of God, you have, uh, if you, if you look at Galatians, you see sons of God. If you look at Ephesians, you you see as well that God is revealing to us this manifestation that's coming. You look at Philippians, you see servants and, and, and in Colossians, you see also a recognition of a people that have been pulled out of darkness into light. There's all kinds of different analogies to explain our relationship. But when you say bride, When you say bridegroom and bride, you are recognizing the highest understanding of God's heart. I remember, uh, you know, looking at the book of Song of Solomon and I read a rabbi who said this. The Bible is a holy book and the book of Song of Solomon is the holy of holies. Or if you look at um, just understanding God's unveiling of his heart, you get to the pinnacle when you say bridegroom. So we are the bride. What is the significance of being the bride? In John chapter 3, verse 29, John the Baptist speaks of Jesus, and he says he who has the bride is the bridegroom. He who has the the bride is the bridegroom. <laughs> this reveals something to us. Not only that Jesus is bridegroom, we love that truth, and also that we are bride, but it shows us something specific, an explanation, if you will, of our marital belonging to him. We belong with him, praise God. He who possesses the bride is the bride. The bride is possessed by Owned by, given over to the bridegroom, praise God. What is the significance of being a bride? We belong to him and we belong with him. I think of the story in Genesis chapter 24, verse 58, where you hit your your climax there and you have Abraham sends out a servant to find a bride for his son. And then his servant finds a bride by a well. And as he finds this bride, he begins to give gifts to the bride, signifying the goodness and riches of the bridegroom, Isaac. So he's giving these gifts that are extensions of the goodness of the bridegroom. And when the bride receives these gifts, she's asked to go marry the bridegroom or Isaac. And this question comes to her from her family at the point of the servant needing to leave and wanting to take her with him to the bridegroom. And the question comes from the family and they say, will you go with this man? Now the statement itself is a clear understanding, are you gonna go with him or not? But what it really means is this, are you willing to leave the protection and the provisions of your earthly father, the nourishment of your mother, the wonderful comforts of your siblings and your friends, the home that you've always known, all the things that you have in this. Are you willing to turn your back on all of that and now find all of that in this bridegroom and now look to him for protection, look to him for provision, look to him for the fulfillment and gratification of life. Are you willing to turn your back on everything you've known to find that now in him? Where you go with this man? This is he who has the bride, is the bridegroom, because for her to say, I will marry him, is to say, now I look to find in you everything, even as our previous speaker has said, Jesus is enough. Praise God. So we see different things like um, uh, marital statements that I like. I remember I went to a marriage, uh, a, a wedding one time with my wife, and we were sitting there in the front. This wasn't my marriage; this was another person's marriage. And the preacher says, um, "Forsaking all others, keeping only to thee," speaking of the covenantal relationship with one another. Forsaking all others, keeping only to thee. And when he said the words, my eyes welled up with tears, and I said, "Oh Lord." I forsake all others to keep only to you. I want to find you and forget everybody else. I mean, imagine two people, they fall in love. They love to be together. They start spending some time together. Then they start spending all their time together. And before you know it, there's a Saturday afternoon. They're laying down in the green grass. The weather's perfect, a picnic basket. And he turns to her and he says, I love you. Will you marry me? And she turns to him and says, you know, If you marry me, that means you're saying goodbye to all the other girls. And he says, exactly, I want only you forever. That's what it means to be married to the Lord. I turned from every other thing, trying to find satisfaction in this thing and that thing and this person and that person. Find this, that. I want now to find everything in you, my precious bridegroom. You think of certain statements like uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, where Jesus says, if any man loves father or mother more than me, he's not worthy of me. Sometimes we hear that saying, we're like, man, Jesus, that's pretty harsh. But we forget the lips through which that passed into our ears, lips flush with the blood of God. And he says, forsake all others, keep only to me. If you're gonna love your father, your mother more than me, then you're not worthy of me, I'm God. <laughs> and now when you see that, you think to yourself, man, Jesus, that's that's uh, pretty heavy that you would say that. But all he's saying is, will you marry me? I mean, imagine a guy who kneels down to ask a woman to spend the rest of her life with him and to find all in each other and forsake everybody else and have all romantic relations and fulfillment of life with one another. He kneels down and he says like this to her. He says, will you marry me? But I just have to say one thing. I'm never going to love you as much as my mom. You know what the girl's going to be like? She's going to see this is weird. And I'm going to go now. And and in other words, all it's saying is, will you love me most? Will you love me all? Will you give me your whole heart? Am I going to be your first love? Am I the highest thing? Jesus is just saying, when he says this, quote, harsh statement, he's saying, will you marry me? Let me have all your love. And then he goes on further and he says, whoever does not love me more than himself is not worthy of me. In other words, are you willing to let go of yourself for me? Do you love me that much? that you would prefer me above you? Praise God. This is marital love. You say, what is the significance? What's the significance of being called a bride? Well, it's very clear. Genesis chapter two, you have God. God makes this reality called marital covenant. The two shall no longer be two, become one, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. This is God creating a covenant between a man and a woman that is unlike anything else on the planet. There's not another covenant like it. It's the highest thing there is. A man and a woman being married, becoming one flesh. The loss of self in another. Two becoming now no longer two. One. This is marital love. And God established this in the very beginning in Genesis. <laughs> It's almost as if God is up there in heaven with the, it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and they're talking, and they're like, okay, we're gonna create people, and we need to install principles in their everyday lives so that they can become very familiar with them so that when we come, we can say something to them and communicate all to them in one moment. I'll give you an example. For instance, how many of you ate today? How many of you eat to live? Live to eat, have food in life. That principle is created by God. You would need to eat in order to live. God made that before he came so that he could stand in front of you and say, I am food for you. Now they'll understand what I am for the soul. When I Jesus never said that, Eric. Yeah, he said, I'm the bread of life. He who eats me will never hunger. Praise God. He put thirst inside of you. You know what it is to be thirsty. I'm thirsty right now, actually. And that thirst... You feel it in your body. God made that so that he could come and he could say, whoever comes to me and drinks, I'm the water of life, he says. And in the same way, he established the marital covenant so that he could say, I am the bridegroom for your soul, the bridegroom for your heart. Now, here's the main text that I had. It's Ephesians chapter five. You guys have read this probably many times, but it's Paul talking towards the end of the chapter, and he says a statement that is astounding. It starts in verse 25. Husbands, we're talking of marital covenant. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Then he says, just as Christ also loved the church. Now, we have affection here. As a matter of fact, when you look in Colossians, it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. The word embittered means to lose feeling for So don't lose feeling, affectionate connection to your wife, looking at the details of her person and her being and the reality of what she is and letting that captivate you again and again, being satisfied with her love constantly, always Mm -hmm. set your eyes here to love your wife. But it's not just the affection, it's the, goes on and it says, he laid down his life for her. So husbands, yes, don't lose affection for your wife. Keep your affections and set upon her so much so that you in and of yourself, you'll lay down your life for her. Yes. Hey, somebody asked me the other day, would you die for your wife?" I said, not even, not even thinking about it. Of course, it doesn't. There isn't even a, a, a bat of an eyelash. I will die for my wife. Why? Because I love her. It's the loss of self in another. But look at why he does this. Why does he love her and in loving her and dying for her? Look at what his love for her and his dying for her does. It says so that he might sanctify her. That's set her apart. She's taken out of the world, out of the whole, for the benefit of the whole, sanctified. He pulls her out by his love. He pulls her out by his highest act of love, the love blood of God, praise God. Man, I love Jesus. But say he sanctifies her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church the, the identity of the church the bride in all her glory where's the glory come from it's borrowed light he did it <laughs> praise God having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless he's the one who makes her holy and he's the one who makes her blameless so husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife own his wife loves himself for no one ever has hated his own flesh, but look at this, nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ. Christ nourishes you and he cherishes you because he's a bridegroom who's taken with you and gives time and energy and effort and desire into you. Praise God. This is the bridegroom. It wins our hearts. And then here's our statement, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Praise God. That moves my heart. Is it move your heart? So you you see he love and giving of himself and nourishment and cherishing and presenting her to himself. He's doing all of this for her. Praise God. Jesus is a lovely bridegroom, the most perfect bridegroom. Every bridegroom on the earth is as inferior to Christ as a shadow is to a man. He, you, the love you have for your spouse, it's the highest love I know. The love I have for my spouse, but it's still a shadow compared to what I find in Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. In Jeremiah chapter two, we have this in this statement. I'll read it to you real quick. It's God and he's speaking of this kind of reality. He says this, I remember concerning you, the devotion of your youth and the love of a bride or a love as a bride. God is recalling a love as a bride, it's launched in his heart that they once loved him as a bride. He has put together two things. This bridal understanding, the bridegroom reality and the bride is a love relationship. You think of God revealing his heart to men and the first thing he says is that the first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's, he's longing for love. God longs for love and this is what we see in bridegroom and bride—it's love relationship. You know, A.W. Tozer commented on a, a statement by Shakespeare. Shakespeare said, "Journeys end in lovers' meeting. Journeys end in lovers' meeting." He comments on and he says, "When a man has met God, he's not looking for anything because he has found it." <laughs> it's God. I remember Shakespeare also wrote, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the things of this world. What's he saying? It's talking of a man in love. He's found so much delight inside of his bride that without her, everything is weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable to him. This is the love relationship that the bride has captivated by him so much so that how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all these things of this world. His love lifts you up out of worldliness. I remember reading John Wesley said, the Christian is kept from sin by greater attractions to Christ. (laughs) You know, I've been reading Jonathan Edwards' biography recently, and he said this outstanding statement. He said that the work of the Spirit, listen to this, the work of the Spirit is to make the attributes of God manifested in Christ delightful objects of contemplation. You say, Eric, what does that mean? It means when the spirit begins to work in your life, you become completely thrilled with and delighted with one thing, thinking upon the attributes of God revealed in the man, Christ Jesus. It becomes an inexhaustible source of joy and love and peace. The attributes of God manifested perfectly in the man, Christ Jesus. Praise God. And so we see even Paul's ministry in 2 Corinthians eleven three. he's longing to present them to the bridegroom as a pure virgin. He actually uses two words. He says, purity and simplicity. Purity and simplicity. He says this the this, this deceiver comes to bring us out, stray us from, divert us from simplicity and purity, which means he's trying to promote complexities in your life. This is where impurity comes from, complexities. You become impure the moment everything becomes complex. But it's as simple as one man, Jesus. I remember Reinhard Bunke told me, God made it one way. Not, not because he's he's so narrow-minded. It's because he wanted to make it simple. Just Jesus. Praise God. Okay, so we see this simple way. You know, ministers should be pointing to one, Jesus. Jesus, he's, as as uh, she was saying earlier, Elena was saying earlier, Jesus, he's the one who, who saves. And I remember reading Richard Sibbs. he wrote, ministers who seek to draw people after themselves are flirting with Christ's bride. He does not like this. Jesus does not like, don't flirt with my girl. <laughs> Jesus. So bridal love, praise God. We realize that religion drains death itself is is coming, and f- health is fleeting, and wealth has wings, and honor is just the breath of men's mouths, and pleasures are just bubbles compared to Jesus Christ, praise God. We look at who he is, and we see that the pleasures of the earth are like the earth, they're earthy, but the pleasures that Christ is are like himself, heavenly. The pleasures of the earth are inconsistent as the earth, but the pleasures of Christ are like himself, unchanging forever. Praise God. Praise God. So we see even in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, we have the last mention of us. The last mention of the church. And and what it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, let me just pull it out. It says, it says this, it says, uh, so he it says that the bride, the spirit in the bride, the spirit in the bride. Some translations will say the spirit and the bride, and someone says spirit in the bride. I like them both. I think it's wonderful to see that the spirit's work in the bride is to make her say Maranatha. And that the spirit is also saying Maranatha with the bride. Either way, it's wonderful because what you're seeing is that the bride has found in him so much. That the things here mean nothing compared to having him here. Does that make sense to you? See, would you know you really have tasted of the world to come when it's what you long for? You know, when you a lot of a lot of times we 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 forget that the down payment of the spirit, the down payment, the scripture says that the spirit's been given to us as a pledge or a down payment, Fanny Crosby says the foretaste of glory divine. The more you taste of the foretaste of glory divine, the more you long for that glory to come and swallow up everything. So that the more you taste Jesus, the more you say, Marinath the Lord, come 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 quickly, Lord, come quickly, Lord. In other words, the Spirit has worked in the bride so much that He has played her so into Christ that she's uprooted from everything here in this world. No matter what earthly situations you give to me here, it's inferior to you coming here. Praise God. It reminds me of Philippians chapter one when you, when you see Paul is debating whether or not he should stay on in the body or if he should just go ahead and die. He says, it's better for you that I stay so I can minister to you. He's like, but to be with Christ is far better. He says, <laughs> and it shows us something that he didn't say to go to heaven is far better. You see, Christianity is not just escaping hell, it's affections for Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. The the gospel, the gospel are the light rays from the face of Jesus Christ. This This is how we fall in love with Jesus, by looking at the gospel. Because in the gospel, we see greater love has no man than this. While we were yet sinners, Christ, died for the ungodly man. You look at the gospel and it wins the heart. It causes you to say, dear God, the attributes of this man, Christ Jesus, he is most lovely the scriptures show us and tell us this outstanding statement. It says that he is fairer than the sons of men. In other words, they line them all up from every age, from every culture, from every influence. Line them all up and they all fell. They fall flat compared to this man, Christ Jesus. He is fairer than the sons of men. The scriptures say that he is altogether lovely. The word altogether means everything included. Lovely means exciting love. Excite- Everything about him excites love for him. I just read a book recently by Michael Reeves, and he says boredom is blindness. <laughs> boredom is blindness when the eyes open by the gospel the spirit quickening and you see the gospel you say this man is worthy to be bowed to this man is worthy to be kissed this worthy this man is worthy to be to be to to be loved and adored forever this man is worthy of my blood praise god a high esteem of this man christ jesus praise god praise god he is worthy. The Bible says that he's the cheapest among 10,000. The funny thing is, is that there's no such word as cheapest, but such is the weight of Christ's perfections. He breaks down vocabulary and causes men to create words they've never known to articulate something they've never seen. And Jesus, the highest there is, the greatest being in the universe, praise God. Praise God. Number three, what is the chief mark of the bride? Well, when you look at the book of Song of Solomon, which is an, an explanation of what it is to be in love relation with God. We we don't we don't look to um, Song of Solomon to to be the source of understanding God as bride. We don't get it from there. We get it from the the commentary and understanding revealed throughout the whole biblical corpus. But then you see Song of Solomon is explaining to you once you grab a hold of the reality that Christ is bridegroom and we are bride, then the whole world becomes a stage upon which you display a love relationship with Jesus. Praise. I remember two people went to missions in a very difficult place in in the world when Heidi Baker was there. And they're like, can you believe that these two people went where they could, they could literally be killed, beheaded? And Heidi Baker's response was, they're in love (laughs) <laughs> in other words listen there's a divine complacency that says a good complacency not as we see it we see complacency these days as something bad and the old church they didn't say that they used complacency as great satisfaction with god which means send me wherever you want give me whatever you want keep me put me on the shelf it doesn't matter i have you praise god yes. mother basalita yes. schling said you are here what more could i ask for i have your presence in my life praise god So what is this distinguishing mark? Well, I believe that it's this. Lovers love to be alone. They instinctively seek retreat, a retreat in which no other voice is heard and no other face is seen. Hide in the cleft of the rock. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Praise God. They, they're lovesick, as the Bible says in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 8. This word lovesick was not coined by Shakespeare. This is God's word stolen by Shakespeare. The sickness of love. Lovesick. What does it mean? Well, if you look it up in the Urban Dictionary, it's defined as this. To be so in love that you're unable to act normally. Praise God. You <laughs> saying, Eric, I just don't know if that's right. Well, that's what happened to me. Isn't it what happened to you? After you fell in love with Jesus, you were unable to act normally. You say, well, how, how, how am I unable to act normally? Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. That's not normal for me <laughs> until I fell in love with Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. It's the work of love in the human heart to cause you to gladly bow your knee and worship him alone. See, the bride, she realizes that if the sun doesn't shine, all the candles in the world can't make it dead. In other words, this is the, the downfall of mankind. They're trying to light as many candles as they can to bring out the light of the sun, but it'll never work. We need the Christ to be the full sight. In other words, some people are saying, if I just get married, pff, I'll be happy. If I just get more money, pff, I'll be happy. They're lighting candles. If I just get a better house, if I can just get more notoriety, if I can get more subscribers, if people start buying my book, if, no matter what, all these things, we start lighting these candles and we realize quickly that even if you get them all, they still can't do what Jesus's shining face can do. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God, Jesus is real! Praise God, Jesus is alive! Praise God, Jesus is with us! Praise God! Praise God! So I look at history, and I see that enjoyment and satisfaction in God mark, mark the bride. That her chief joy in life is him. She's lost everything else just to find everything in him. I think of things like like Robert Murray McShane, who said this. He said, an hour with God is worth a lifetime with any man, which shows us that his presence is better than all the people in the world. Praise God. <laughs> or you look at some, something like David Brainerd, who's dying of tuberculosis, I might add. He's dying, coughing up pieces of his lungs, And there he is sitting on his desk, writing in his journal as he did so often, smiling with probably red teeth. And he says, an hour with God infinitely excels all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. What is that? That's called bridal Christianity. (laughs) That's called bridegroom love. That's called bridal bride, praise God. I look at Samuel Rutherford who's put in prison for preaching the gospel. And he says, they thought that they put me in prison, but his presence makes this prison a palace to me. He says, he writes in the journal. He said, they put chains, they put chains on me and my chains are gold, praise God. He said, "They, they laid me in this dungeon, but they didn't know they laid my head upon his chest. Praise God. What is that? Bridal Christianity. A love for Jesus that realizes that everything is in him. Praise God, regardless of what happens to us in this life. Richard Warmbrand is put 14 feet beneath the earth for seven years in solitary confinement, fed one slice of bread a week. He's dying slowly. He hears no sounds. He sees no colors. He's, He's trying to pray the Lord's Prayer. He can't even remember it. So he would just begin to say things like, I love you, Jesus. I love you. When he's released from prison, he says this about his time in solitary confinement. He says, they gave me chains, but they didn't know that they gave me symbols with which to praise his name. (laughs) He gets out of there and he said, they say, wasn't it the worst experience in your life? He says, "No, no, no, no. To be without Christ's presence is the worst experience. And then he goes on further and he says, When we were in prison, we knew the kisses of the bridegroom and his caresses. It was the most beautiful time of my life, he says. What is that? Bridegroom and bride love relationship that lifts you out from underneath the heaviness and weights of this world, where you begin to taste the world to come, even in this way. You say, Eric, is this possible? Oh, gazing at Christ in the gospel wins the heart. And you begin to see his attributes and you see his character and he causes your heart to love him so much that it rips you out from underneath the influence of the lower things, the things of this world. Charles Spurgeon writes, it is worthwhile to have lived, if for nothing else, than to have had a half an hour's fellowship with God. Did you hear those words? Listen to this one more time. First time I read this, I wept. He said, it is worthwhile to have lived, if for nothing else, than to have had a half an hour's fellowship with God. That's bliss on the earth. Madame Guyon, she writes that when she was put in prison, she began to worship the Lord until every stone in her cell shone like a ruby. His presence. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I look at different things in, in this Christian life that are ours, and I, and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Charles Spurgeon said, are you the bride of Christ yet content to live without his presence? Oh, to be with him, to enjoy him, the highest delight there is, to have him. A sobering statement comes from the mouth of John Owen. He writes, if Christ is not heaven to you now, he shall not be hereafter. What's he saying? He's saying find him, see him, experience him, love him enjoy him find heaven here even now with Christ A.W. Tozer said when the eyes of the heart looking out meet the eyes of God looking in right there heaven has begun upon the earth say Eric what is the chief mark of the bridegroom or the chief mark of the bride the chief mark of the bride is the bridegroom himself I'm obsessed taken with this what the bride says I'm obsessed and taken with him praise God so my final conclusion is this you know I once heard a story of a a little boy and he's trying his best to get away from his shadow and he's turning and twisting and jumping around. He's trying to get away from his shadow and he realizes quickly, this is not gonna happen. His father sees that he's twisting and turning and sweating and striving to get away from his shadow. And the father grabs him by his shoulders and he turns him to face the sun. And right then his shadow is cast behind him and is no more seen. And in that little picture, I see that's what God does in the gospel for me over and over and over again. I'm trying to get away from lust, or greed, or anger, or frustration, or me, this, that, the other. I'm, sh- I'm spitting and twisting and trying and fighting, and, uh, and he sees me sweat, and then he goes, hey, grabs me by my shoulders with the gospel, and he goes, look at Jesus. And then all those things, that fear, that striving, all that gets cast behind me like a shadow, and all I see is the dazzling face of the beautiful one. Praise God. Oh, praise God. So this is my my final point, and and, uh, we'll be done here. It's that, what is the conclusion of the bride's identity? It is this, knowing that she is so loved and desired, she is captivated by no one else and nothing else. And because of this, time with him is more important to her than anything else. She's labeled by the fact that she loves His Word more than what anybody else has to say, and lastly, His will is more important to her than her own will. I, I like to think about it like this: like a guy who loves McDonald's and he falls in love with a girl who loves Wendy's, and he looks at her and he goes, "Where you want to? Where do you, you want to go eat?" He's like, "Let's go to McDonald's," and then she looks at him and she goes, "Can we go to? Can we go to Wendy's?" She's, He's batting her eyes. He looks at how beautiful her eyes are. He's leveled with her eyes, and he's like, yeah. We'll go to Wendy's. (laughs) He gladly gives up what he wants and likes for her pleasure. Praise God. That's love. And as we are falling in love with this beautiful man, this beautiful man, we begin to quickly say, Lord, not my will but yours be done. So nothing captivates the heart like Jesus. You say, Eric, but you know, I have a person in my life that really has more of my attention than Jesus. I'll tell you this, he didn't bleed for you. I have a pursuit in my life that has more of my attention than God. Well, I'll tell you this, that pursuit did not pursue you from heaven to earth, into the grave, and then up from the grave and back into heaven to bring you there. Nothing compares to him. You say, Eric, but time with him, more important than anything else, really? Well, can anyone else else pour heaven into your soul? <laughs> can anyone else take you into bliss beyond compare? Does anybody else carry with them joy unspeakable and full of glory and peace that passes the ability to be understood? Does anybody else have that? No. You say, Eric, loving his word more than anyone else's word? Yes, because other men describe honey. Jesus dispenses honey. Praise God. You say, Eric... Loving his will over my own. You know, I read a quote the other day, it's, it stung me. You ever had a quote read and you read something and stings it? The quote was written by, I believe it was Elizabeth Elliot, wife of Jim Elliot, who said, that man is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. His wife says, when what I want is contrary to what he wants, it is then I must ask myself, do I love him? Oh, Piercing, huh? I can't say that I've always won. And maybe maybe lost more than I've won, but that's my goal. I say, Lord, I desire you above all other things. And so I'm gonna end with this poem. Is that okay if I end with a poem? Yeah. Yeah. And and then our dear uh speaker RC Blakes is gonna come up. He's gonna take it from there. So so I wrote this poem. I really feel like I got it from the Lord, and this is where everything will culminate, okay? Jesus would say to you today, myself. <laughs> Myself I present to you. As one sent to you, mocked and rent for you, blood spent for you, death sentenced to cross, shame and grave. Oh, let me save you again. Only I can mend through the spirit that I send. So come to me, be one with me. Unto me live and give your soul and you'll be whole and you'll know my father. Are there any others with affections greater than mothers, deeper than lovers? I'll smother your sins away, cover you with my pinions and lay you on my chest. Quieted rest, ended quests, stilled and caressed. Oh, I'm the best for you. Victory through making you new by a love you've never known with a substance I alone am for I am the Son of Man. Marry me. Let me be all to thee. None can be what I can be. Give ears to hear and eyes to see. Through your soul with ecstasies and fill your heart with joy and peace. Make internal wars to cease. Lift you above life's miseries. Take you into my victories. Love you now and endlessly and marry you eternally. Praise God. Praise God. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We worship Jesus. We praise you. We honor you. We give you glory and honor. There's nobody like you. And we just ask that today, freshly, the Spirit would unveil our eyes and cause us to see the attributes of God manifested in the person of Jesus Christ, delightful objects of contemplation. Praise God. Praise God.